Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. You know me, Ben Bolin, uh, video writer here at the website, HowStuffWorks.com. Got a few side gigs. And I'm Scott Benjamin, the auto editor here at HowStuffWorks.com also. And uh, today, Ben, yes, we got something that you've been pretty excited about talking about for Shopping the last at the bit. couple weeks, really, right? Yes, sir. Uh, why don't you fill us in on what's going on? Well, okay. Therein lies a tale. <laughs> um, okay, so... Here's the deal, you know, uh, given the state of the economy lately, I've been picking up side gigs, roundhousing, sure. looking at tape and stuff. I'm in between side gigs right now. It's pretty tough uh, to keep my girlfriend in Maseratis and Ferraris. <laughs> she has a terrible <laughs> habit for them. Uh-huh. And, and so I'm thinking maybe I will uh, try something new that I've never done before, and that is to be a taxi driver. Sounds easy. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. <laughs> right. Why not? But, no, why uh, not? No, it sounds... Uh, Depends on where you go, I guess, right? Ah, look at yeah, that. Yeah, see, yeah, yeah, I know. You got me. Because, yeah, because what we are going to talk about today is something that uh, Scott and I found in our research uh, into taxi driving, and it is something called the knowledge. And Scott, you want to lay it on these people? Give them the good word? The knowledge, yeah. So it's a, it's really, it's a test, right? Yes, sir. The knowledge is a test, and it's a test that's given to all London taxi cab drivers. Hmm. Very intense. Yes, uh, how intense, you might ask? How intense is it? I'm glad you asked, Scott. It's uh, very difficult. Basically, to be a taxi driver in London, and you know they have those iconic black taxis. Oh, um, yeah. These applicants have to find the shortest route between any two possible points in a six-mile radius hmm. from Charing Cross. So six miles, any given any given address, they have to figure it out. So how do they do this, right? And well, what, like the history, when did when did somebody come up with the idea, the history of this test, which is actually called the knowledge of London. People just call it the knowledge because it sounds cooler, which I totally support. The history of this test dates back to 1851 when the office that supervises this sort of thing in London, the public carriage office, uh, which is under the police department, Established the standards for these carriages, which at the time their vehicles were horse-drawn hackney carriages. Um, and this, like the last carriage 
got a license around 1947, the last horse-driven one. Uh, and so now they've kept the same, some of the same rules, definitely the same concept, and there are more than 20,000 black cabs in London. And every one of these guys and, and every one of these women driving these things, they have to pass this enormous test where they have to learn uh, around 25,000 streets and 1,400 landmarks. Holy cow. Okay, so 25,000 streets and 1,400 landmarks. Mm-hmm. You, The way you've laid it out here, it seems like – okay, now I understand what the numbers you're talking about. It's, yeah. it's pretty complex. But initially yeah. I thought, well, you know, they're – Pizza delivery guys around here that do that, you know, they they can find the shortest route between A and B sure. quickly. Even yeah. even if they don't use a GPS system, they've just got the map and the pizza store there, and they find where they're going. These guys have to know it off the top of their head, right? Yes. And it's and it's a much greater area. It's a bigger area that we're talking about. And you know, they're, so they're not allowed to use any kind of electronic devices, right? No, okay. no electronics. This is all in the head, in the mind, mm-hmm. um, memory, mm-hmm. and. I would think that you know this is something that they have to. You probably don't pass it the first time, right? No, sir. No, you do not pass it the first time. Actually, uh, it can take four years to pass just to accumulate the knowledge. Four the, years. Uh-huh. And when I say the knowledge, the the you know the information. Wow, four four years. Yes, sir. Four years. Um, two to four years. These the people who take the knowledge are usually calling themselves knowledge boys or knowledge girls, and they have to master. The, the public carriage office has this thing called the Blue Book, and the Blue Book contains uh, between 320 to 400 routes, and you have to go through a seven-stage testing period where you are given – the first stage you're given six months to learn uh, the first couple of routes, routes. And then uh, the next stage you're given – I think you learn the first 40 or so, uh, the – the first 40 or so in the first six months, and then you're given 18 months to learn the other 260 or so. <laughs> and then oh, after boy. that, once you know these these runs or these routes, yeah. um, which they're sub-organized in a way to make it easier to memorize it, then the next stages involve connecting these routes in different ways so it's not always, okay. you know. Can I tell you something? Yes, please. I don't think I remember what I had for breakfast. Now, how are you supposed to remember the shortest route between uh, A and B whenever A and B constantly change? Uh-huh. So you don't you don't start at the same point all mm-hmm. the time. So they give you uh, it's just a big mix. You could they could give you any address on any street and say you need to get to here. What's the fastest way? And if you miss it by one road, you're off. Right? That's e- it. Excellent question, Grasshopper. Uh-huh. E- eventually, it does get to um, it gets to the point where they are just given two arbitrary, unrelated points and. They have to know how to get there. And you're exactly right. They still don't use GPS. They still don't use uh, radio directions the way that we, we see a lot of – definitely a lot of cabs here in the States. Um, and it does take a while. And, and you're saying you couldn't remember what you had for breakfast. I have a hard time remembering actually the – most efficient route to places that I haven't visited in a while, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even even if I know, like, in, in my opinion, Google Maps is probably the best thing that happened to my convenience and the worst thing that happened to my memory. Go you know? by physical landmarks, but they may uh, they may change too. Yeah, well, it's like, the you know... The big tree may, uh, may fall in a lightning storm. Mm-hmm. And these guys have to remember these landmarks, the schools, the hospitals, the theaters, the museums. There's a list. I'm not going to read it. It's a paragraph long. Oh, so this is points of interest, too, for yes. tourism, right? 
for tourism, for people, you know, for people in trouble, mm-hmm. uh, for people who are just going out of the way. It's divided in two things. You're awarded a badge. Uh, the green badge is for people who are driving in the city of London. I mean, not the city of London, excuse me, in London proper. And the yellow badge is a suburban badge that's awarded to people in the greater London area. So. Okay, so I have a question for you then. All right. All right, well, and first of all, you should be very proud if you've passed this test, right? I you mean, should, they, oh, I mean, are you kidding? It's yes. displayed in the vehicle, I would think. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. okay, so what's the, what, I mean, what's the point of a test like this? Why, do they, why don't they just, uh, you know, do a licensing just like any other place? Why does it have to be so specific and, specific and, and rigid? Mm. Um, what's the advantage to the taxi drivers? What, what's the advantage of being a, a person who's passed the knowledge? Wow. Okay. This is great. This sets up the rest of the show oh, today. This great. I'm going to uh, I'm going to put my feet up. You, yeah. Go ahead. You've earned it. See you later. All right. That man deserves a promotion. All right, you're coming back, right? Scott. All right. I'm back. All right. He's back. Okay. So check it out, man. Um, the the question you're asking, yeah. What? Why? Why would we do something this this enormous mental feat, which is essentially the amount of information you're collecting if you add it up is probably equivalent to some higher learning degrees, you know. Um, and because it's not just repetitious memorization, it's also um, it's also composing new information from that, you know. Mm-hmm. Like we said, it's arbitrary sometimes. So they mm-hmm. would give you just a two two points within the city and you have to go from A to B and we, back again. Yeah, which is just um, like a real cab ride. Exactly. And so here are the, here are the advantages. First, the advantages for the drivers – um, a driver of a black cab will make more money per fare than a you know the driver of a mini cab or an illegal vehicle of some sort. And did, is there any type of rule? I mean, you may or may not know this, but they can't be painted black. Is that right? I don't. I don't think so. Okay. I think there is there is some sort of protection, but also all the black cab drivers are self employed. Okay, and so they they stand to do pretty well. Whereas if you're driving a mini cab or something. You may be working for a company. I see. So a portion of your money, your percentage would go to the house. Sure. And then another advantage is that, as we know, uh, London is a very, very, very – three more varies? Very, very, very dense place. And as a result, you know, it's it's a morass of one-way streets, ongoing construction. I mean, have, have you been to London, Scott? No, I have not. It's that as – Drivers used to the wide roads of the United States everywhere except for Boston. I said it. Then, um, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> they are skinny in Boston. Yes, though. they are. I've been there. Yeah, but the, the roads are, can be very, very difficult for someone who's just navigating in a rent-a-car yeah. or someone from out of town who's just driven in for the weekend. So having this sort of encyclopedic knowledge, and that is a fair word to use, uh, allows them actually to prevent uh, any sort of traffic jam. I mean, traffic jams are inevitable, but if you have this small army of people who actually know exactly where they are and where they're going no matter what, um, as a civil engineer, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that so that's one definite benefit. There's also the benefit, We, you and I talk a lot about how less moving parts equals less chance of something going wrong. So if there's less reliance on mechanical means of navigation, then when things mess up, these folks, these women and men will be able to perform where, you know, the driver of a minicab or someone relying on GPS could not. I totally agree. You know, when I when I first moved here, mm-hmm. um, this is 
this isn't even on the same level. I mean, well, I know this is this is intense. This knowledge is intense. But um, when I when I first moved here, I took a job delivering furniture. Oh yeah, yeah, just to you know get my you know myself here in the state, mm-hmm. and I did it for a very short amount of time. But the owner of that furniture delivery service uh, wouldn't allow us to use any electronic means of, of navigation. We had to use giant map books. And we had to know where we were, were at all times. And we had, and it, the reason was that he wanted us to be able to think our way out of a problem, you know, if, if that ever, you know, malfunctioned. Oh, yeah. And we're yeah. somewhere on the other side of the state or in another state, which happened often. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'd know where we were and we could, we could get home, I guess, is the, as uh, the purpose of that. Um, so it allows you to, you know, it keeps you thinking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, it's, you know, believe it or not, far more reliable than uh, the electronic means of, of navigation. And that is, you know, you could not have set me up any better because that is one of the strangest and most impressive things about the, these drivers. Um, Scott, these drivers obviously have worked and honed their memory to a point that would be, at the very least, difficult for the average person. At the very least, super difficult. Mm-hmm. So over this number of years, uh, what happens? What's the craziest thing you think could happen? The craziest thing? Yeah, what's the craziest Boy, um, to these drivers? Uh, well, uh, I guess construction and, of course, accidents. And uh, Am I on the right track? Are you, is you're, you're, you're on the – that's a crazy thing. Um, I'm going to give you something even crazier. And I, I don't think it's a fair question because there's no way you could have known I was going to ask this. <laughs> okay. Right? Yeah. Okay, so check it Volcano. out. Volcano. There is, uh, there have been a couple of studies, um, that have found there's something a little, there's a little bit of a plot twist when it comes to these taxi drivers. Uh, researchers such as Dr. Eleanor McGuire and a couple of other very, very smart people actually said, hey, how come these taxi drivers are able to do these amazing feats of memory that would baffle the average human being, which I think the average human being can remember in short-term memory, like 7 to 11 random numbers. Yeah, that's why the phone numbers are 7 right. numbers, right? Before Wait, the show. I know what it is. What? They're aliens. Okay, and that's the end of the show. Thanks yeah. so much for <laughs> I guessed it right. I was right. You were. Um, yeah, was it an asteroid? Well, an iceberg. It, if by aliens you mean not aliens, then yes, you're right on the money. Oh. They, they, this is so clever. What they did, uh, these scientists took magnetic scanners, took basically portable MRI, uh, technology, oh. and hooked it up to watch the brain activity of these taxi drivers navigating through a simulation of London. So they're robots. All, well, they may very well be better. They're at least the next best thing. They found that the, they, they found that the people's activity when driving in a simulation, um, could be traced back to things that we've always associated with memory encoding and spatial awareness. But here's the weird part, Scott. They found that these taxi drivers' brains, uh, the hippocampus was larger. Like noticeably larger in a UK taxi driver who has taken the knowledge. Just an evolution story, really? This is not, a, you know, it's not quite evolution because we're not talking about them passing on to their kids. Think of it more like exercise. Oh, like if you do a lot of push-ups, yeah. you you get stronger biceps. Yeah, and because these guys and these women are using their their memory um, so often, so efficiently, so proactively that what what's actually happening is. Toward the back of their hippocampus, there it's we're seeing an expansion, um, along with coupled with a greater ability 
to memorize uh, information and spatial, excuse me, spatial data. And then, and here's another kicker, how do we know that there's not just some huge coincidence that big-brained people just tend to be uh, taxi drivers, right? Mm-hmm. Or people with larger hippocampuses. Hippocampus high? Hippocampuses. <laughs> Hippocampuses, I think. We'll find out. And, uh, I'm sure we'll, someone will tell us. Mm-hmm. But this is, uh, the way they know that there's a, a match there is that they took some taxi drivers who had just started. They took some that had been driving for more than three decades. And the longer they had been driving and doing this set of job skills, the more advanced and, uh, more above average, really, these parts of their brains became. Wow, I wonder. I wonder how good they are at putting together puzzles and things like that, mazes. You know, just uh, just other things that are not driving and not not directions yeah. to and from, but something on you know with pen and paper. Mm-hmm. I wonder. I wonder how that uh, how that correlates. Well, there's actually uh, <laughs> there are some people. Uh, they have some pretty interesting interviews you can find online because this caused a buzz. Uh, the BBC has a lot of – or has a, several pretty good stories on on this um, phenomenon that people have me- been measuring. And a lot of students that are interviewed, knowledge boys and knowledge girls, say that they can notice their memory improving just as they are studying. Wow. And we, the more we learn about the human brain, the more we see that – um, you know, for a long time, people thought that after a certain age, after you entered adulthood, past a certain threshold, your brain lost a lot of its elasticity and learning ability. And we're finding that that is not as extreme a loss as we thought it was because, you know, stroke victims can relearn, they can teach their brains to do different things um, in well, different parts of their brain to do different things post-stroke. And then people who have... Uh, you know, the stories abound there. There's stories about Buddhist monks meditating who have been found to have larger parts of their brain hmm. than average. And so this may be an example of, you know, it's obviously an example of amazing human potential, but also, and I say this as someone who loves standardized tests, this is an example of a test that is so difficult that it physically changes you when you pass. That's pretty interesting. I mean, I'm being, I'm being sensationalistic. No, it, no, after, after years, years and years and years, years, it does. Yeah. So it builds up the brain muscle. Mm-hmm. You know what else is amazing about that story? What's that? That you were able to keep your train of thought while I was coming at you with things like icebergs and volcanoes and asteroids and robots and I mapped aliens. Out the, I mapped out the route of oh, the conversation. Very good. Very good. <laughs> very, good. very good. That's, a, that's an interesting test, I tell you. Um, I, I had no idea that there was anything like this going on for taxi cab drivers. Mm. Uh, no idea until you mentioned it earlier this week, and then we, we both kind of dug into it a little bit. But yeah. um, Wow. And it goes all the way back to the 1850s. Yes, that's that's incredible. To me. I mean, I just can't believe that test has been around for so long. Obviously, it's changed as new streets are added. Sure, probably got a lot more complex. That's what I was thinking. Maybe. It just became more difficult. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, London's always been pretty crowded. Right? Yes, yeah, it yes. always has. But it's a uh, seat of civilization. So. Exactly, and I bet a lot of those streets are the same streets that were there in 1850. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Especially you if, know, if not you know, 200 years before that. Right, and you know, <laughs> as as Americans. Yeah, a lot of people have to realize that to us, 200 years is old. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's not so old over there. So driving on streets from, you know, that date back, uh, hundreds of years just really, really boggles our minds, but apparently not those of taxi drivers. Mm-hmm. And so what all the stuff we're learning about the way the human brain interacts in these things, uh, may have bearing outside of the world of taxi cabs because, um, Per this BBC article I checked out, uh, the one that also has Dr. McGuire there, um, 
this evidence that the brain is able to physically change uh, could have implications for positive implications for people who have uh, disorders such as Parkinson's. No kidding. Yeah, if we can take the not, the the ability to ha- if we can somehow if we can somehow apply this way the environment can shape the brain in someone attempting a specific skill, then really we have no idea where this could go. So give them another set of uh, information to study. Another another type of information, sure. say something that, that interests them, not uh, not the streets of London, maybe, <laughs> right. but uh, but allow them to to memorize things in the same way, and they can strengthen the brain so that maybe they could overcome a disease. Even um, we we just don't we don't know. Interesting. We don't we do know though that the outside environment affects the uh, inner workings and the growth of the brain more than we more than we previously thought, hmm. and so um, with that we I think that's about all I've got. All right. On the knowledge. Very nice. And Very nice. Uh, I guess uh, that means it's time for some listener mail. All right, Ben, I've got a, a piece of mail here from uh, Jordan. And let's see if Jordan says uh, Jordan's from uh, – Jordan's 25 years old and from Las Vegas, Nevada. Hey, Jordan. All right. So – Jordan says, hi, Scott and Ben. Just a question about the Antique License Plate Podcast. Both of you guys agree the cars made in the 80s uh, seem to be just a little too soon to be considered antique. Right? I know. Yeah, we do. Are we in for spanking <laughs> on this uh, one? No, I don't think so. <laughs> but the, but uh, Jordan does say that, uh, do you think people in the 1970s thought some of the great classics made in the 50s and the 60s were also too young to be considered antique? He's absolutely correct. That's a great point. Could be. Yeah. That's a great point. He or she. Or she. Yeah. Or or she. Jordan. I don't know. Sorry, Jordan. Well, either way. Either way. Jordan continues on to say that I would argue uh, that you guys are prejudiced against any great vehicle that doesn't look like a cherry red 55 Chevy Bel Air. Which is, I think, one that you called out on the show, right? I, yeah, it stings. You got me, Jordan. <laughs> no, Fair and square. That's true, though. I he, mean, he it, got, it has a classic look. He or she is right. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Jordan, you're right. <laughs> and uh, Jordan agrees that having having antique encompass everything from a Shelby Cobra to a Yugo is a little bit ridiculous. So maybe uh, we should divide the license plate into categories of over 25 and golden age of cars. Just that's a great idea. Just something to think about. So yeah. there's the golden age of cars, and that's what, uh, 1932, 65, I think yes. is what it was yeah. defined as earlier. Um, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's reasonable thought. I think that's a really fair fair thing to say. Yeah, yeah. And, and one other quick thing that yeah. Jordan mentions here, and I thought this was worth mentioning. Uh, wonders whatever happened to wing windows. You know those little windows, that the triangle shape that yeah. you push in? I love this. And uh, blow on you? It says, uh, I miss them more than any fancy climate control doodad. Mm-hmm. I also miss those. I've had those on a couple of cars, and they're great. I, I had uh, I had those on an El Camino that I drove mm-hmm. for for a short amount of time. We've got one list, another listener mail we're going to knock out real quick. Great. All right. Okay. So uh, William from Fayetteville, Georgia, just down the way, writes in and says, Hi, Scott and Ben. Thanks. What a great show. That's nice. You don't always have oh, to compliment that's, that's us. Nice, yeah. yeah, we'll read oh, it. Oh, you don't have to always read it either, but I know. <laughs> uh, you got me. All hey, right. Oh, did your arm okay? <laughs> From patting myself uh, on the just back. Just kidding. Just kidding. Go ahead. Um, okay. So, so William says, uh, back in the day where I grew up in Maryland and Pennsylvania, our Chevrolets and VWs were turned into rust buckets in a matter of just a few years. Uh, and he's talking about the 
he's, he's going to be talking about corrosion here. And he goes, say what they like, there was really no way to keep a car from rusting and corroding into junk. It was unusual for a new car to make it more than three years before corrosion became evident, which meant it was already extensive. Corrosion problems did not improve till Japanese cars arrived. Honda, Toyota, Datsun, etc. were quick to address corrosion problems. GM, Ford, and Chrysler only got busy dealing with corrosion when the Japanese began eating into the car market. There are now plenty of corrosion-free 80s and 90s cars on the road. Corrosion is for the most part, really a thing of the past. I suspect younger people are totally unaware of how much a problem automobile rust and corrosion once was. It sent most cars to an early grave. Mm-hmm. He puts in parentheses, junkyard. Even when the drivetrain was still going strong. He's like, I don't know, maybe this would be at least a partial subject of a podcast. So I, uh, so I wanted to say thank you, William. We have indeed made that partial subject of a podcast because... I told my dad about this, yeah. and you would have thought I was talking to a veteran of a war that nobody won. Really? Yeah, because he said, oh, yeah, it's, I remember my cars, the rusted. And, yep. Yeah. I've he, had the same problem. Really? Yeah. He spray-painted his gold. Yeah. That's my dad, all class. Yeah, very nice. I spray-painted mine black. <laughs> See, I think that's a way to cover it. Yeah, that's what you have to do. I mean, it's just they fall apart. They fall yeah. apart in the salt and, and muck in the wintertime. So low in the wintertime, uphill? No, no, specifically in the wintertime with the salt on the road. It's uh, it was a terrible thing. We got we've got to get out of here, folks. But before we do, of course, if you listen to the show before, you're familiar with us saying that we want to uh, introduce you to our Facebook page, which is Car Stuff, mm-hmm. and the Twitter account, which is also Car Stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see, we got the blog, we've got the the website with a lot of articles uh, in the auto section, and well, in every section. But yes. uh, check out the auto section. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. There's a lot of different ways you can contact us. You can even email us if you want. And that email address is. Car stuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning, is connecting with people. In an unscripted, unvarnished way, is getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine, And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.